Class, settle down, please. We have a question over here. Yes, what is your question? I have a special request. Can we not do anything funny to open up today's lesson? I mean, you always open up the question and answer lessons with something just corny and off the wall. Can we not do that today? Um. Well, sure. Nothing corny and nothing cheesy to open up our question and answer lesson today on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Thursday, June the 25th of 2009, and welcome to our next Q&A. I guess that's what this could be considered. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the Trinity, and of course that seems a little bit fitting maybe because it's been a couple weeks since we finished our lessons on the Trinity. We had a three-part series that we did uh, in our Knowing God series, kind of a mini-series within the series, uh, on the Trinity. And there were a lot of questions remaining even after those lessons. And these are all questions. These are all things that, uh, you know, didn't get covered in the lessons. So, um, you know, I wanted to have a lesson, just a question and answer lesson with you guys, just to cover these questions that we didn't cover in the in the Trinity lessons. So, anyway, you know, I don't know why we don't have question and answer lessons anymore. Uh, you know, I, uh, I guess I really don't get a lot of questions that we haven't already answered. Uh, I think more times than not, I find myself, you know, getting a question and referring somebody to a particular question and answer lesson that we've already done. So, uh, anyway, you know, I, I am still open to taking questions from you guys, and uh, if there's anything that you are wondering about, about, you know, whether it's the Bible or Jesus or other religions or whatever, you know, shoot them over to me. My email is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. Real quick, I wanted to let you guys know what I'm up to, in case you didn't listen to the lesson on Monday, uh, and that is that I'm going to be going to the CIA. Uh, no, that's not the uh, Central Intelligence Agency. That is the Crossexamine.org Instructor Academy, CIA. And what that is, it's basically a network of apologists who are, uh, you know, th this group is headed up by Frank Turek, who, of course, wrote the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, uh, or he co-authored it with Norman Geisler. And uh, he's a fantastic apologist. He's one of my favorite apologists. He's very logical. He's just extremely logical and very easy to follow. He likes to put things into little sound bites, so he can put a ton of information into just a little clip, uh, which is a great talent, great skill to have. Uh, so anyway, what I'm doing is I'm going out to this, um, it's kind of an audition. You get to kind of join this team of, uh, of apologists, but you have to audition for it. At the end of the three days, three very intensive days, they kind of drill you in front of everybody, and if you can stand up under pressure, uh, then I think they, they let you in on the team. But last year, I know that nobody, even the people who graduated from my seminary, nobody made it on the team. So, uh, yeah, I'll go out and give it give it a try and see how it goes. And if nothing else, I think, you know, I'll walk away with uh, a little bit more knowledge than I've already got as far as apologetics goes. So anyway, let's go ahead and get started with our lesson for today. And of course, like I said, this is going to be on the Trinity. These are all questions just pertaining to the Trinity. And if there's a question that we don't answer, get them over to me, cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. 
gmail.com. Anyway, our first letter comes from Matt, and Matt wrote, Something which might interest you is water's triple point. And then he gives me a link to uh, Wikipedia's page on the triple point, which says, In thermodynamics, the triple point of a substance is the temperature and pressure at which three phases, for example, gas, liquid, and solid, of that substance coexist in thermodynamic equilibrium. Looks like the Trinity water analogy isn't so bad after all. But then he did add a note uh, to say that gas, liquid, and solid are all different modes of water. Well, thank you for sending that in, Matt. This is definitely a clarification that needs to be addressed, since other listeners very well could run into the same argument. And in fact, you weren't even the only one to send the, uh, that same information to me. A few people actually sent me uh, the similar, similar argument, uh, that there is a triple point of a substance in which it can be gas, liquid, and solid simultaneously. Well, on the surface, you know, this argument seems pretty convincing. It seems that this would be an instance in which water could serve as an illustration for the Trinity. That's just on the surface. However, with that being said, you know, I would have to say that we'd need to find out if water can be gas, solid, and liquid at the molecular level simultaneously. In other words, let's say that you were to take, you know, just like a drop of water rather than a whole body of water. Could the smallest and simplest molecule within that drop of water have all three of these qualities simultaneously? That's the only way that the illustration could really work if you had a piece of burning ice, which wasn't ice, but was liquid. To me, that seems, you know, logically impossible. But, you know, I won't even try to pretend to know enough about this particular phenomenon to say that it absolutely won't work. Uh, But judging by the research that I've done and the articles that I've read, it appears to be referring to a body of water rather than the individual molecule, where part, and that's the key word, part of the water becomes liquid, part becomes solid, and part becomes gas. And if this is indeed the case, correct me if I'm wrong, Uh, if this is indeed the case, as it appears to be, then this wouldn't be a legitimate illustration of the Trinity. Um, And, you know, while we're talking about illustrations of the Trinity, by the way, let me just point out some other maybe popular illustrations that you guys might have heard, which don't work. Uh, Well, in addition to the illustration of water, there's also a common illustration of using a chain, you know, a chain with three links. And uh, the illustration is basically this, you know, the links are all connected to each other and they make one chain according to this illustration. You know, with that being said, the three links are not of one substance. In other words, you could separate the links of the chain and they'd still be links. The links in a chain are totally separate and distinct from one another. And for that reason, the illustration of three links being combined to make one chain doesn't properly illustrate the Trinity in which there are three persons who are one God. In fact, this could be an illustration of tritheism, uh, this illustration of the three links. Illustration of tritheism, which, needless to say, is a heresy. So that's one common uh, misconception or a bad illustration of the Trinity. Another common illustration for the Trinity would be an egg. Uh, People who use the egg to illustrate the Trinity will point out that an egg has three parts, which again should be a word which in and of itself alerts you that the illustration doesn't work. Uh, The three parts of an egg are, of course, the shell, the white, and the yolk. And this doesn't illustrate the Trinity because, again, those are three separate substances. In fact, the shell, white, and the yolk are not just three 
different substances, there are also three separate essences as well. So just like the illustration of the three links in one chain, the illustration of three parts in one egg doesn't work, and it actually, again, illustrates tritheism, uh, which is three separate gods, rather than illustrating the Trinity. Uh, another bad illustration is, uh, you know, people point out the body, soul, and spirit all make one person. And this illustration is probably just as common as these other heretical illustrations that we've discussed, but why? Uh, well, hopefully after listening to our lessons on the Trinity and this discussion that we've been having right now on the false illustrations, hopefully you'd be able to answer this on your own. But it's pretty simple to see why this doesn't work as an illustration of the Trinity either. And that is because the soul and the body separate at death. And so thus the soul and the body aren't of the same substance or essence, and thus this doesn't even come close to illustrating the Trinity. And the Trinity, of course, is inseparable since God is simple and infinite. You can't divide something which is infinite. Uh, so what would be a good illustration of the Trinity? Well, uh, one I usually use is the triangle, and the triangle does work to an extent. In a triangle, you have three separate angles which form one shape which has one essence. Uh, well, this illustration works in that regard, but it falls short in that there is uh, no substance to a triangle, and Christianity asserts that God is three persons who are of one essence, one nature, and one substance. So it's not that a triangle has three separate substances, but that it has no substance, but it does illustrate how something can be three and yet one. Uh, another illustration, which as a student of philosophy, I tend to prefer is maybe uh, the relationship between the mind, words, and meaning. Without a mind, there are no words, and without words, there is no meaning. And likewise, without a mind, there's no meaning. You know, try talking to a tree and see how well it understands or sympathizes with you, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. The mind, words, and meaning are all inseparably connected, since you can't separate words from meaning or meaning from words, and you can't separate the mind from meaning. Hope that makes sense. But anyway, there's a three-in-one relationship between the mind, words, and meaning. But thanks, Matt, for sending that link in. I appreciate it. And hopefully this clarifies the Trinity and how we can properly illustrate it for everyone. But if anybody knows, if, uh, if in the triple point you can have one molecule being three different substances simultaneously, I'd be very interested to learn about that. So please send me that information if that is indeed the case. Anyway, let's move on to our next question. Uh, a listener named Lester and I had a conversation through email about the Trinity, and let me just share his question and my response with all of you. He had written saying, quote, I have listened to your podcasts on the Trinity. My understanding of the Trinity has been the same as the Oneness Pentecostals. The facts that we agreed on are there is one God, and we believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. However... When Trinitarians would say, separate, co-equal, distinct persons, I had to part ways. After listening to your podcasts, I totally understand and see the Trinitarian perspective. And then he goes on to say, however, there's one more hurdle I must get over. No Trinitarian ever explains what or who we will see in heaven. Since there's only one God, but three persons, even though they are the same in essence, substance, and nature, will there be three beings or bodies that we'll see in heaven? If yes, it's hard to say that there is one God. If no, what happens to the other two divine persons? You mentioned that there can be one with plurality in it, such as one cluster of grapes, but that only works with fruit. Will I be able to have a conversation with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in their distinct persons? End quote. 
And that was Lester's email. And of course, uh, one of the responses I, I need to make, need to make a little bit of a clarification there. Uh, to have a conversation with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, God is the Father, God is Jesus, and God is the Holy Spirit. And the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. So uh, to to summarize God instead of the Father, I think is maybe a little bit of a of a misnomer or maybe a misunderstanding. But um, you know that that might have just been um, you know off the top of your head, and that, that's okay. But anyway, you know I still think that this is one of the better questions I've ever come across on the Trinity, and it's uh, it's something that I had never even considered before I had this conversation with Lester, and that makes me appreciate the question even more because if there's one thing. Uh, that characterizes me, it's that I don't leave, or I don't like to leave any stone unturned. I try to question anything and everything. Uh, So Lester, thank you so much for that question. That's an absolutely great question. Uh, Here's how I responded to his question. I wrote back to him and said, uh, we know that when Stephen was being stoned, he caught a glimpse of what and whom we'll see in heaven. It says that, quote, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, that's Stephen, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is what we read in Acts chapter 7, verses 55 and 56. And this is similar to what we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, where Peter says, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Obviously, it would make no logical sense to say that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of himself. Rather, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 reveals that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. The personal pronoun he in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 traces back to chapter 1 verse 17 where we see that it's the Father. And so thus Stephen saw at least two persons of the Trinity, Jesus and the Father. The Holy Spirit also resides in heaven, as revealed in John chapter 1, verse 32, in which John the Baptist said, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him, that is, Jesus. Uh, Very few people uh, in the Bible have been privileged to catch a glimpse of heaven, and thus we're not exactly sure of everything that we'll see. But the fact that the Holy Spirit resides in heaven is also evidenced by the fact that John was given the ability to see things from the Holy Spirit's perspective when the final revelation was given to him. Uh, That's Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. Revelation 14, verse 13 makes it clear that the Holy Spirit will at least be able to be heard while we're in heaven. And so thus it's clear that we will experience fellowship with each of the persons of the Trinity distinctly when we're in heaven. So just to share with you guys, this all made sense to Lester, and he actually wrote back to tell me that he no longer holds to the oneness Pentecostal view of God. And uh, Lester, brother, I appreciate the conversation we had. And again, I thank you so much for forcing me uh, to think about something that I had never considered before. Uh, there's nothing better than, you know, not knowing where to turn and just opening the Bible and finding answers. Uh, I love it when that happens. So anyway, God bless you, Lester, and thank you so much for that question. I really appreciate you uh, forcing me to think about that issue. Great issue. Thank you, Lester. Anyway, uh, another question that we got was from Jim. Uh, and He wrote to me asking, my question is about the role of the Holy Spirit. It's pretty straightforward to understand the role of God, our Father, and Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is somewhat vague to me. 
This may sound crazy, but I've often wondered if we have misunderstood the scriptures and that the Holy Spirit is just another way of expressing God. I mean this in much the same way we would choose a second word with similar or identical meaning when writing to avoid repetition. So the Holy Spirit simply is God, or that the Holy Spirit describes God at work. Of course, who'd think someone else would have figured this out by now if the Trinity was actually a duo? I pray this isn't heresy, but given the lack of focus on this dynamic, biblically, I want to venture out. So anyway, well, Jim, uh, you know, I hate to break this to you. Uh, you know, I, I cherish you as a brother in Christ, and, um, you know, we talk on Facebook, and I appreciate uh, your friendship. But yes, the position which denies the personhood of the Holy Spirit is indeed heresy. Uh, I won't hold that against you because, you, you know, you just don't know. And that's why you're asking, and I appreciate that. But you know me, uh, I wouldn't label anything as a heresy without justifying the label. Uh, I think that almost any question is a legitimate question, and any legitimate question deserves a response. This definitely deserves a response. So, if I understand you correctly, Jim, your your question, um, it basically boils down to this. Is the Holy Spirit a person, or is the Holy Spirit merely the power of God at work? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That's the way I've kind of interpreted um, your your question and what I've boiled it down to, to simplify the verbiage. Uh, But this is actually exactly what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. The Watchtower, which is the publication of the Jehovah's Witness cult, writes that the Holy Spirit is, quote, a force that can be adapted to perform a great variety of operations. The Watchtower also writes, quote, in the Bible, God's Holy Spirit is identified as God's power in action, end quote. If you want to read that article, I've got the link, and you can email me and uh, and get that link. I'd be happy to give it to you guys. But uh, that is what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. In fact, they won't even capitalize the words Holy Spirit because they are so sure that it's just the power of God at work. It's not God himself. So first of all, uh, let's make note of the fact that while the Holy Spirit may sound, the name may sound like a force or a power when we talk about believers being filled with the Holy Spirit, for example. The Bible also speaks of believers, um, and all things actually, being filled by Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, we read that Jesus, quote, fills all things. Similarly, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, we read that he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. So the fact that scripture speaks of believers as being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't lead to the necessary conclusion that the Holy Spirit must be nothing but a power or a force. And that's actually one of the lines of reasoning that the Jehovah's Witnesses bring up. But the fact is, uh, Christ fills all things. So I think it's pretty much, um, you know, it's a far stretch to attribute qualities which are found in a person to a force or to a power. The Holy Spirit becomes grieved by our sin, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Man, we're uh, referencing Ephesians a lot today. But anyway, you know, can something which uh, which isn't a person experience grief? Uh, I, I don't think so. Emotion can't be experienced by inanimate things. As we saw in our first lesson on the Trinity, the attributes of a person are intellect, will, and emotion, and all of these things are attributed to the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And further, a force or a power can't speak uh, for itself. 
But in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, which is uh, the verse we actually just referenced in our uh, letter to Lester, uh, we read here, quote, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow with them. Well, I'd say that uh, that a power or force would be incapable of speaking. And in fact, one must have an intellect and a will in order to speak, which are qualities of a person. But perhaps most significantly, Paul writes this in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. An impersonal force would never be referred to as the Lord, but here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the Spirit is referred to as the Lord. Only God gets the title Lord uh, in Scripture. But, you know, with all the evidence at hand, I'd say that it's pretty clear that the Holy Spirit is a person rather than an impersonal, uh, inanimate force or power. And I hope that this clears everything up for you, Jim, and maybe for anybody else who might have had the same question. But God bless you, Jim. Uh, thank you so much for that question. That's an excellent question. And you know, I wish I would have remembered that. I would have put that in with the lesson where we were addressing particularly the Jehovah's Witnesses. But that's a good question, and I'm glad that we were able to address it. So anyway, we've got time for one more question. Uh, Andrew writes, So what are you saying, that the Godhead is like a club or a business, and the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are like partners that together make all of the godly decisions? Does the Father have more authority than the Son and Holy Ghost, since Jesus would plead with the Father? Uh, Okay, those are some good questions, Andrew. Thank you for those questions. You know, there are really two questions here, but we don't need to spend a lot of time on, um, at least not on the first one, since we've already kind of answered that. No, the Trinity is not like a club or a business, which consists of three partners. It's pretty clear that that would be an illustration of tritheism. Uh, Those are three separate persons who each would have their own essence, each would have their own substance, uh, although they would have the same nature. Uh, human nature. And some people have also likened the Trinity. This is another illustration that uh, that gets thrown out. Um, You know, people will liken the Trinity to how one man or one person can have three roles. You know, a man can be a father to his children, a son to his father, and an uncle to his nephews and nieces. But again, just like the water illustration, this is modalism. Uh, One person playing three different roles, three different modes. Both of those illustrations, of course, are heresy, but for different reasons, obviously. So no, the Trinity is not like a club or a business consisting of three individual partners. Uh, As for your second question, Andrew, as for uh, whether or not one person in the Trinity has authority um, over another or more authority than another, Jesus said that all authority in heaven and on earth belonged to him in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, but he also submitted to the will of the Father. So functionally speaking then, the persons of the Trinity may submit to one another, but that's because they have different roles. However, submitting to another or being subject to another doesn't make one lesser than the one to whom they are submitting or being subjected to. Wives are instructed to be subject to their husbands, but that doesn't mean that they're lesser than or inferior to their husbands. In fact, they're equal 
to their husbands, but the wife has a different role than the husband in their relationship. In fact, every healthy, loving relationship, whether that's a marriage or a friendship or whatever, every uh, relationship requires submission from both people to an extent. And that doesn't mean that one person has authority over another, just like none of the persons of the Trinity have or even need authority over each other. But in regards to creation, the Bible does teach that Jesus has authority. But we should note that submission has nothing to do with authority, necessarily. Rather, submission uh, has to do with love, respect, and function within the relationship. So, thanks for the question, Andrew, and and hopefully that clears things up uh, for you and for anybody else who might have had the same question. Uh, Of course, if you guys have any other questions that we didn't cover today, I'll be happy to address those. My email address, once again, is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. Drop me a line if you have any questions about anything uh, pertaining to theology or Christian living or whatever. I'm always happy to take your questions. So anyway, God bless you guys, and thank you so much for listening today. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.